The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning. Good morning to everybody and good morning to Nancy. Welcome all of you to our maiden voyage of Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy on the Autism Network. Uh, this is uh, Autism Live is now a part of the Autism Network and we're, we're so thrilled uh, to be here for our first show on the Autism Network. You're going to see some changes. Um, like, you know, we got a, we got a different background now, Nancy. Uh, <laughs> there's going to be little changes along the way. Uh, and uh, we're excited for, to be here with you guys and to have a part of that. We've got Vince Redman, who's going to be joining us in just a little while. But Nancy, I wanted to show you that part of, part of this initiative at the Autism Network is that when we have work, if at all possible, that we uh, job out to individuals who are on the autism spectrum. And so um, I want to show you what the new opener for Autism Live is. We're sort of separating all the shows out, but I wanted to show you because it was designed top to bottom, the new opener for Autism Live by artists that are on the spectrum. We did this in conjunction with Spectrum Laboratories, who you know and love, yes. as do I. And, and you have a son who's a brilliant artist, so you'll appreciate. We, we love hiring and working with artists on the autism spectrum. So we have this new very short, because one of the things that the, the folks on the spectrum said to us is, Shannon, your opener is too long right now. It's like, it's like the opening to an old TV show. It goes on and on and on. And, and I was like, okay. And they were like, you know, as a podcast, we, these things need to be short and sweet and to the point and send the message of what it is you're trying to do. So do you want to take a look at what the new opener for Autism Live yes, is? I'd love to see it. And by the way, the music was also written, composed, performed, and done by individuals on the autism spectrum, also uh, working alongside uh, Spectrum Laboratories. So we really want to thank all of them. And soon we hope to feature the artists that were a part of all this. But take a look, Nancy. This is okay. the new opener for Autism Live. The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. So uh, we played the disclaimer for you again, because, you know, you need to see that more than once in every right. show. Um, but uh, I, I love it. I'm, I'm in love with it. I love everything about it. But I especially love the birds. The birds make me happy. They're cute. I love the tree. Yes. Well, you know, when usually when you uh, contract with an artist, you sit down and have a conversation about what are the images that are exciting to you, like what resonates with you. And of course, from the beginning of time, Autism Live has always featured a tree for many different reasons. Um, and so I felt that it was really important. It's, it's an important symbol to me, a tree. Um, and so I mentioned that and they they took that. I got to look at so many different pictures of trees and there was discussions about the trees and, you know, when you get, when you talk to an artist. Oh. Uh, so, but we, uh, and then they came up with the idea of the birds popping up. They like the watch, share and, and learn, which has always been a part of our tagline. And they felt that having it come from birds and that we loved the little, the tweet that came out of them. So um, I love it. I'm so appreciative of everybody over at Spectrum Laboratories. So, hey, Nancy, I wanted to just say we're live right now on a lot of different platforms. We hope that you at home, if you're watching us live, that you'll write in and say where you're watching us from. Today is the 8th of October. Nancy, do you find, for me, September is like 
three years long and then October goes by like that. Is yeah, that October, yeah, it comes up on you really quick and it's sort of like you're suddenly into fall. Yeah. Uh, September here in Southern California is very hot. Yeah. Uh, we had some very hot 90 degree days in September. So it didn't really feel like fall, but I think of October as we're here. Fall is full on. Yes. But uh, I hope I'm not telling on you, you're going to be traveling a little bit back east and you're going to get to see the amazing fall. I'm so jealous that you're going to be there pretty much at peak, aren't you? Yes. I'll be there yeah. at peak and I'll be in Manhattan and Southport, Connecticut and Woodstock, New York. Uh, um, I'm going to be going to scatter some of my husband's ashes at his mm -hmm. family home in Woodstock, New York, which amazing. is going to be absolutely beautiful there this time of year. What a great, yeah. I hope somebody's going to take some good pictures for you because well. uh, what an amazing thing. And I'm sure that Reed would be uh, over the moon that that's, you know, what you're going to go and do. And, and I'm excited for you because that's, uh, that's also uh, moving to another place as well, I imagine. Yes, it is. It's good closure. Yeah, there you go. Well, proud of you, girl. I know this has not been the easiest journey on the face of the planet, but you, you know, you've been rocking it and staying, being an amazing person and an amazing mom. So uh, I, I know it hasn't always been easy. Thank you, Shannon. So I uh, do want to mention that, as I started to say, we're live right now on YouTube, Twitter, on Facebook, um, and a lot of other sites. So if you are watching and you want to tell us where you're watching from, we'd love to hear from you right now. Uh, we are also a podcast, and this show will be available as a free download wherever you get your podcasts a little bit later on today. While you're looking at the podcast, check out the many podcasts that we've done in the past. But if if you would like to search by topic um, or by a category or by a guest that we have had on the show, we do highlights um, and those are available to you only on our YouTube channel and on our homepage. You can go to either one of those pages and in the search feature, you can put in the, you know, the anything from the date to um, the the host or not the host, the hosts are us, uh, the, the guests or the topic. And if you're looking for, for instance, our Ask Dr. Doreen, we have um, classified all of the questions that she asks. Those are available to you. You can type in a subject. You can say toilet training and it'll show you all the questions that she's answered about toilet training, which is a pretty cool thing. It's a pretty vast library of videos because we are now in our 11th year That's of amazing. doing this show. It, it's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Uh, <laughs> but but I know I aged during that time. If you look uh -huh. at the pictures of me when we started, it looks like an, I, we, we, for the longest time that the pictures of me that when we started, were still in the opener and people would write in and go, who is that woman? <laughs> and I would go, yeah, that was me when we started. But you know, it's a lot like when you look at a picture of somebody, when they're president, when they take office and you look at a picture of them four years later, right. eight years later, whoo, that's amazing in a box right there. Uh, so, uh, you know, how, how would, but you look. You look like you haven't aged a day, Nancy. Oh, that's not true, Shannon. I've aged quite a bit. Yeah, Thanks to uh, Faria hair color, I can hide the... Who knows what color this is? I haven't seen my natural color in so many decades. I don't even know. It's beautiful. It's Thank beautiful. You. Do you know, people thought that I was dyeing my hair. And okay. I used to. I mean, heaven knows I used to. But uh -huh. um, somebody asked, you know, what's with her wanting to be a platinum blonde? And, um, and, and, and I was like, platinum blonde. No, 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 no. This, this is, this is the gray. This that is, is the, you. The gray well, out of the room. It suits you. I think it looks great. Well, I, I made my piece with it many, many years ago and I like it. So, um, I used to dye my hair every color of the rainbow. I, I think I, I sewed all of the wild oats for hair color that there were to sew. So <laughs> well, my mother, my mother started dyeing my hair when I was 13 and it started turning brown. She got me a box of summer blonde and helped me put it on. And like I said, I haven't seen, that was when my hair was like a mousy dishwater blonde. I haven't seen my real hair color since then. So we're talking 50 years. <laughs> well, I've seen you with some different colored wigs on and you, I mean, you look 
stunning as a redhead, madam. And I've seen you with black hair and you look fabulous. I don't think there's a, you have that skin tone that looks good no matter what. I always say you're like a Barbie. You could dress you up in almost anything. Um, (laughs) And you look good. You look stunning. So it's a compliment. Hey, we're saying good morning to Michelle. That's how you do it. You write in, you say hi, and we say hi back to you, Michelle. We're so glad we're he- you're here with us this morning. Michelle. Um, so we've got, some, I mentioned we've got Vince Redman with us a little bit later on the show. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist. We're going to take on holidays in this new normal um, to, cause I don't understand what the rules are. I don't know what to do. So how are we expecting our kids to know what to do? It's the craziest thing on the face of the planet. Plus, which if, if we don't know what to do and our kids don't know what to do, then aunt Rebecca is not going to know what to do. And how do we, even, even when there isn't, you know, a global pandemic, uh, you know, or mask mandates or whatever, holidays are hard enough with relatives with a child on the spectrum or dealing with our own sensory issues. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you factor in all of this stuff. I just, I, I always look forward to the holidays, but I'm a little like, Ooh, I'm not sure. Are you at all nervous about this, Nancy, or you're just nervous. It's, um, we've got Wyatt's birthdays in November and I just won that yesterday. Um, and it's at one of those trampoline gym places. So I don't know. I mean, they practice, say, social distancing and masks and all that. But, you know, there may be some people that aren't comfortable with attending that. Um, So we'll have to see. We'll have to see how it pans out. Um, And then Thanksgiving, I haven't really planned what we're doing. Have you planned your Thanksgiving, what you're doing? No. You know, for me, it's always hard because um, my husband works. Right. And, and so, and his birthday is usually right around Thanksgiving too. So that extra complicates it. But I never know if my husband is working on Thanksgiving day until the Friday before. Yeah. And so how, how are you supposed to plan that? And so usually, and I don't, I'm somebody who doesn't believe in, I don't, I don't like to go someplace with my son and not have my husband there for a holiday. So if, if he's working, we usually stay home and then whatever time he comes home, we'll just do a dinner with the three of us. But honestly, Nancy, usually for us, Thanksgiving is uh, a Black Friday holiday. Right. I know that about you. You love your Black Friday. We do, but you know, I mean, last, most of it in the last couple of years has been online and certainly last year it was all online. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with that. I have, I have no idea. Um, and I, I'll be honest with you this year. I don't even know if my son's going to be working on Thanksgiving. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So we'll see what happens. Um, but, uh, I can't, I can't think what else I forgot to tell you guys, uh, all kinds of things, but whatever. Uh, we've got some in the news for you. Yes. So, uh, shall we start with one of the harder stories about pushing for change? Yes. Um, I'm looking, I'm just calling up my stories here. Exactly. Uh, uh, yeah, this is a story out of Katy, Texas, I believe. Um, and there's a young man there um, named Bubba Salinas. Yeah. He's a sophomore at Jordan High School, and he is also a member of the marching band, which he loves. And um, he, the school district decided that he will not get to his fine arts credit for his band participation. Yeah. Um, just due to some weird technicality on the school. Um and well, the, the weird technicality, which makes me full on nuts, is that they say that he, his, what he's doing in the, as he participates in this class and in this group is not up to the current Texas arts standards. Mm. And so therefore, he does not qualify for credit. He's there with all the other kids. And, he, and the kids have started a, a petition, his fellow yes, students. which is the good news is there's a petition and it has over 5,000 signatures. So the family is very uh, happy about that. They are very heartened by that effort of um, the, the kids, you know, rallying behind Baba. 
Yeah. And so the, the thing that's at, at the, the crux of this is something that's called the TEA, the Texas Education Agency. Um, and the quote from the school is, all school districts must follow the Texas Education Knowledge and Texts mandated by the TEA, the Texas Education Agency. It is the TEA, not individual school districts, that sets the parameters for standards that are taught and assessed by teachers and met by Texas students. Well, I just have one thing that I want to say to the officials at this KD school, KDISD, and then we'll also say this to the folks at the TEA. Hey, there's this thing that's called IDEA. I want you to buy a vowel and check that out because it allows for a free and appropriate public education for students who have qualifying diagnoses. And Bubba has a qualifying diagnosis, which means he's entitled to an IEP. Now I know in Texas, you folks don't call it an IEP because you like to do things a little bit different. You like to do things in a bigger, better way. So you call it an ARD, doesn't matter. It's still covered by the same laws. So here's the thing, folks. What that document says is that you get to set the standards in a different way because we talk about this all the time on the show, that it is not fair to set the standard for everyone and say that it is this. We always used to show that picture, Nancy, of the kids yeah. standing there trying to see the things on the track. And there's one kid who, you know, there's a fence and there's one kid who's tall, so he can see over the fence. And then there's another kid who's a little bit shorter and he can, he can make it about here. He can only see half of what there is. And then there's a third child who is too short to see anything. That is not justice. That is not equality. Equality and justice is when you take and put a box underneath the, the, the individual um, that they can see half and it makes it so they can see the same thing that the first person saw. Take a bigger box and put it underneath the, the shorter individual so that they can see the whole thing. And this is a metaphor for what IDEA and IEPs and ARDS do. So this student is performing at his capa max capability and he's enjoying and he is contributing. By not giving him credit, you are flying in the face of federal law. So I suggest that you pay attention to that petition or we're all going to be sitting in your backyard because this will not fly. Right, Nancy? Right. You said it, Shannon. This makes me so mad uh, because when people hide behind these things that they go, oh, well, these are the rules and right. we can't do anything about it. Lie. So I'm so proud of those students, uh, the fellow students around him who recognized this and said, this is not fair. I'm happy for the family that they're not letting it go. Katie, get it together. That's all I have to say. Uh, <laughs> so you got anything you want to add to that? No, I, think you, I say amen, Shannon. My blood pressure goes, because mm -hmm. uh, I hate it when people who aren't smart say things acting like they're smart. Well, yeah. it's just, no. Right. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> so anyway, all right, let's, let's go on and hopefully we'll get good news about this uh, because Bubba needs to get his performing credit. Don't okay, make me next, come to Texas. The next story, um, which is out of Baby Gaga, um, says unusual vision problems in late infancy can be a sign of autism, um, which I don't, this is, doesn't seem like a surprise to me. Uh, yeah. According to new research, unusual vision spectrum of objects by babies over the age of nine months may be a sign of autism. Yeah. Um, they um, considered infants aged six months old who had older siblings with autism spectrum disorder, making them uh, at higher risk for ASD. They also evaluated 58 in infants whose siblings were neurotypical, making them low risk. And they had the babies perform a simple task to absorb the different ways they play and engage with objects. Um, and uh, things like the baby's eye contact, overall social responsiveness, and how frequently the baby smiled at others were measured. Yeah. They also looked to see if, if they um, spun any of their toys by throwing yes. them or... Crossing. 
Spinning. Yeah. They define spinning as dropping, tossing, or manipulating an object in order to make it spin or wobble. Yeah. And, and here's what I find super interesting. There are a lot of studies right now that are taking advantage of the science that we know, which unfortunately is that if you have one child who's on the autism spectrum, your subsequent children run the risk, the higher risk of also being on the spectrum. Now that's for those of you who are having a second child or a third child or a fifth child or whatever, that can be harrowing for you. The good news is that there are more and more people are looking at how, because if we already know that these kiddos are of interest, then let's look at them and see if we can capture what are the telltale signs that end up being uh, leading to the diagnosis. Because if we can do that, then we can start earlier and we can, in some cases, they're able to catch autism as is beginning to develop the disabling aspects of it. And they're able to shore up those skills so that that child doesn't get behind, which that's the whole ballgame, right? If you don't get behind, then, you know, you're good to go. You don't want to get to the point where you're losing skills because this is a, this is a time period where so many things are happening Um, in the brain and the brain is growing, you don't want to lose those skills. So I love this because we've known, Nancy, like you just, it's the duh around the world, right? That there are, there's something that happens visually um, that I don't know about Wyatt, but Jem had this thing where he would look at everything out of the corner of his eye. So would Wyatt, Wyatt would do motions with his fingers and look at it out of the corner of his eye. Yeah. And what we discovered with Jem later on, much later, when he was like 10, we took him to a developmental um, ophthalmologist and realized that that his eye muscles would only focus when he brought his eyes all the way over to the side. Mm. So, and for other kids, it's other things. But if we know that that's, you know, a symptom that's going to end up, um, you know, being a telltale sign, then we can start earlier. So I, I, I find this really remarkable that what they did was they evaluated 58 infants, uh, excuse me, 89 infants aged nine months old who had older siblings, and then 58 whose siblings were neurotypical. And um, a large portion of the kiddos ended up, um, I think, there were um, 58 of the children were classified as low risk, 72 were deemed high risk, and 17 were diagnosed with ASD. That's a pretty high percentage, I think. And especially identifying those that were at higher risk at risk and watching them closer. Again, the takeaway is that if we can see symptoms early, you can start intervention early. And all of the studies say early intervention is the key. Um, So I I think that it's, uh, we we had on the show, was it last week, two weeks ago, um, talking about the Gemma Project. If you have a a child that's on the spectrum and you have a new baby and you're hearing this and you're like, how how am I going to? you know, watch for the symptoms. Right now they're taking participants for the Gemma Project and you uh, can have your baby be a part of the study so that your child can be being watched by professionals. And if they show signs, then um, they will be referred to expert help. So um, that's a pretty exciting thing. Uh, But anyway, um, I think that the I thing, I, I can't wait till they find out why. Yeah, I know. Oh, that's the thing. Uh, but let's move on to Sesame Streets, shall we? How about the story? There was one story before that, Shannon. Which story is? Okay, let's do that one first. Then I had them in a different order. It's oh, all good. in a different order. I had it. The next story about a dad. This is out of the UK. A dad's tweet about lonely son with autism goes viral. Um, a father. Um, posted about his son, Kevin Harrison. Um, Daniel is his son. Kevin is a dad. He tweeted, Daniel's my son, profoundly autistic, hasn't one friend. It's his birthday today. In his ECHP, he wrote that his two wishes were to learn to drive and make friends. Please wish him a happy birthday. Please show him you care and please share. Well, not only did people show him they cared, they showed them they cared in a big, big yeah. way. Um, more than 20,000 ret- retweets, 
and 120,000 likes from around the world. And that's that's not even updated in the last couple of days. Uh, I, I love the responses. I love that Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker, wrote uh, wrote to him and sent a video and said the force is strong with this one. I, I love everything about this because now the dad has shared, he said, you know, when our son first wrote in his school workbook and, and said the things that he would like, he, the two things that he wanted are to be able to drive a car and to have a friend, that it tore him and his wife up, that it was just like the saddest thing in the world. Because until they saw that, uh, Daniel is pretty profoundly affected by autism. Mom and dad weren't aware that he understood what a friend was and that he was missing one. Right. So talk about a moment. Um, and I think it's a moment for all of us to have a recognition that our, you always say this, Nancy, you say we have to presume, presume intelligence and that our kids, even if they don't have the ability to vocalize it, they've got something to say and they've got needs and wants and they have a much greater understanding than a lot of times we have an awareness of. Right. So, but once you are aware that your kid is aware of something, it pulls at you in a different way. Mm-hmm. And um, the fact that this story has a happy ending, that the family feels so much love and that Daniel feels so much love. And I, and I, I, I think it changed the world, right? Um, mm-hmm. That people were like, Oh, Right right, I need to remember that there are folks on the spectrum that I need to slow down a second right. and be and be kind and stop to be a friend with someone. I think it's just such a wonderful, wonderful story. So I thank that dad for saying something. What an amazing right. thing. What and what amazing- I hope is that maybe out of this experience, maybe he can find some people in his area that could be friends in some way. Yeah. I, I hope that that happens too. I'm 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 going to guess that somebody who lives close enough is going to say, "Hey, you know, I've been isolating and I haven't really been paying attention, and I want to be a part of that." Uh, we our guest is here, so we got to move on to our last story about Sesame Street. Um, we've had the actress who plays Julia mm-hmm. uh, on Sesame Street on the program. Nancy and I have interviewed her. I'm, I'm really proud of Sesame Street that they're taking this very seriously and not just resting on the laurels and saying, okay, we have a character on the spectrum um, that they've expanded. And like us here at the Autism Network, they've said, as we expand, we need to be employing people on the spectrum. Um, so I, I love that, uh, Nancy, I didn't get a chance to go, but they, they had a thing from exceptional minds the other day where they were debuting some of the work that they've done with Sesame street, these artists on the autism spectrum. Um, I didn't get to be there as they were debuting that, but I did get to see some of the videos. Did you by chance get to see any of the things that exceptional minds did with them? No, I did not. I wasn't aware of that, Shannon. It's super fun. Um, they they worked on this new video that is out right now um, uh, that is about Julia dealing with um, some sensory issues. And you you hear um, music and they're, um, it's done by people um, from Exceptional Minds. You hear sound effects. Uh, at one point, she's talking about being afraid because there's a trash can that's banging in the wind. And, and she's afraid of it. And, and there are these bang noises. And I loved that as I was reading uh, uh, what the Exceptional Minds had posted about that, that the artists who were making the music and, and banging the, the, uh, the top to the trash can, they're all people you and I know, Nancy. Uh, young and they got paid. That's so great. <laughs> Isn't that the the best thing on the? So I I'm thrilled. I hope you guys will check out these new videos that are out. This new one, um, it, uh, there's a, a whole set that's called Good Night, um, and there's routine cards that help you to get your child to go to bed. There's helpful hints in the video that I watched. Um, Julia was afraid. And mom uh, said, well, you know what? Let's draw about what what we're afraid of. Let's shed some light on it. Let's draw what we're afraid of. And so Julia gets out a crayon and she draws the the trash can and they find a way to laugh at it, which I thought was a really productive way to deal with fears. So 
Um, you mentioned, Shannon, that they have uh, the added content aimed at the Chinese American autism community. So if you're a member of the Chinese American autism community, there's uh, now Mandarin and Cantonese versions of the digital storybook, We're Amazing One, Two, Three. I love it. I absolutely love it. So check those out, you guys. Uh, We continue to be very proud of Sesame Street and the way they're handling this. Somebody said way back when Julia became a regular, they said, you know what's going to be great? When the kids who are the age that are watching this right now become the HR directors in 20, 30 years, and somebody with autism walks in the door to apply for a job, it's going to be a whole new ballgame, whole different thing, because they're going to have seen Julia. And I thought, oh, isn't isn't that something to look forward to? Uh, I hope that happens. Hey, we're saying hi um, to Dark Angel. Dark Angel, I know you wrote in uh, both yesterday and Wednesday. Did you see that Dr. Grampiche answered your question? Um, I, I hope that, cause you keep asking the same question, but I want to know, did you see that Dr. Grampiche answered that question for you? I hope that they did. Uh, all right. Uh, we've got Vince Redmond here with us. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He's the director of family services at the center for autism and related disorders. He's an all around good guy, an amazing dad. He's featured in the, the DVD recovered, which any day now uh, we're going to be debuting. uh, So you guys can watch that on um, our YouTube channel, um, which is a really amazing thing. So um, Vince, are you there? Hello. 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 There we are. There you are. Shannon, do you remember when Julia was introduced? I do. At the national, we were in Louisiana. That's exactly right. Uh, I had forgotten that that's where we were. We were, yes, we were in the French Quarter, as I recall. Yes, Uh, the Autism Society of America's national conference, I believe. That was a great trip, Vince. Mm -hmm. I got to say, Nancy, Vince, and my son and I spent, it felt like two weeks, but it was probably three days. It was a weekend, yeah. Yeah, probably three days, but it was so hot. Um, I'll never forget that. Um, yes. But it, it for me, it was a transformative three days, Vince. It was so nice to work in tandem with you and what I loved. Nancy, people would come up to the booth and they would want to know information. And Vince would give them great information. And then at a certain point, Vince would say, well, here, talk to a parent. And then he would hand them off to me. And I would talk to them for a little while. And I would be talking about... Gem and how great quality ABA changed our lives. And they would say, well, how is your son right now? And I would go, oh, Jem, come here. And then they would have a conversation with Jem. And it, I met people that I'm still friends with, Vince, uh, that, uh, that weekend. And, and, you know, one of the funnest parts is that our booth was right next to where Michael Tolleson, the right. artist, was as right. So all weekend long, he was painting those crazy, wonderful paintings that he right. paints. Uh, so it was it was a good time, Vince. It was a great conference. It was a great conference. I got to that was the conference I got to know Jim a lot more. He and I were buddy buddy, and we yes. we goofed around and walked around and stuff. But it was also one of the last conferences I can remember where it was really everyone was really it was just a real natural flow where everyone was really interested in one another and all the different types of supports that were for families and we were you know julia was presented that you know at the conference and you know there was a lot of buzz about that it was it was a wonderful wonderful experience so when i was backstage watching you know uh, you you ladies talk about julia that whole trip you know, just came back, just come flooding with good emotions and good feelings, because that was, like you said, it was not only a great trip, but it was also something that was the 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 beginning of Sesame Street really turning the corner and introducing yeah. autism to, to their world you know, or to their street, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. It was the very beginning of a, an amazing time, but it was also, I think, uh, honestly, one of those last big conferences, because after that, uh, 
rightly, Autism Society of America decided that a lot of people can't get to conferences. And so they started going more virtual. Um, But I miss those big conferences too, where what I love about an ASA conference is you will never be anywhere where you will meet more adults on the autism spectrum. What a wonderful opportunity to hear from them. Uh, Truly wonderful. Uh, well, anyway, Vince, um, we need to do more of those. Please invite yes. Gem- Gemini to go to more conferences. We'd yes. be happy to as go. Soon, as soon as everyone allows everyone to have them again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Well, uh, in any case, uh, we heard since it's the beginning of October, you know, usually this time of year, we talk with you, Vince, about how to prepare for the holidays. Mm-hmm. But I was saying to Nancy earlier, I just... I just don't even know this year. And I'm all like, I don't know what the rules are. And the rules seem to change minute by minute, street by street, neighborhood by neighborhood. Right. And uh, and if we don't know, if I don't know, how do our kids know what the rules are? And how do we explain it to Aunt Rebecca, who's always got an opinion about what our kids should be doing at the Thanksgiving table? <laughs> right, right. Well, we got a lot of, you know, a lot of things going on. I think the first thing you kind of, I think you the undercurrent of this is we're on burnout, right? We're on burnout of change. Change is difficult for humans, period, right? Everybody. And when we are forced and thrust into so much change and so much unknowing, it it really taxes our, our, our whole body, our whole personality. And I think that's happening to everyone. Now, start that from you know this is the the top down right that that whole everything everything trickles down from the top so parents in 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 families and caregivers are all just burned out with the mask or no mask or school or no school or virtual or not virtual or can i do this can i do that do i need this do i need that what's approved what's not approved and it obviously it's something that's constantly evolving now we bring in which is for the most part the, the you know the 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 joyous part of the year but yet also the very stressful part of the year right where there's more change right there, when the holidays are great however if you really think about it just on a behavioral standpoint there's a ton of change that happens during this and so when we bring all that down to the level of our kids we we have to assume there's going to be a lot of anxiety if not there already is so we have to look at how do we create the same type of experiences with the least amount of anxiety possible if that makes sense we can't eliminate the anxiety right now there's just too much going on and to be quite honest we're already walking on eggshells on what's going to happen next. I know I have an, an event this weekend and I was doing the same. Do I, what, do, what do I need? What do I don't need? Do I, do I have proof of this? Do I need a mask of that? And, you know, it's just crazy. So coming into the holidays, my first recommendation is let's, you know, would be for the families to take one at a time, right? Not plan October through December. Let's look at one at a time. And the first one is Halloween. That's probably the one that has one of probably the most change because of the costumes. Everybody changes their appearance. That could be very exciting, thrilling for our kids. It also could be very terrifying and very confusing for our kids. We have to know at what level um, of anxiety our children are going to get by um, seeing people or seeing costumes, seeing you know uh, uh, people that are made up or dressed up. Um, and we start that at home, right? Um, my first recommendation is start that process now. Do not wait until October 31st. Start it now. Maybe start dressing up. Maybe start doing, you know, dressing up siblings or dressing up parents or dressing up neighbors in just little little costumes and see what the reactions are. See if it's scared or is it is it exciting? Is it something that that causes them anxiety? Or does it spur more curiosity, more excitement? This gives us a little bit more information as we work towards Halloween. Do we need to desensitize? Or is there excitement and curiosity? We can explore that and we can maybe do a little bit more and maybe get you know, a little bit more festive. But the biggest pitfall that I see in many families, because everybody is extremely busy, and this isn't by lack of effort, it's really just by lack of reality. Everyone's running from appointment to appointment, this and this and this, we run out of time. 
if we don't think about this now and we don't start nibbling on it and working on it now, it becomes a big deal at Halloween. If we come into Halloween with great expectations, we're going to dress up and you're going to look so cute and we're going to get you out there and we're going to go trick-or-treating and we have a meltdown, everything at that point in time becomes extremely frustrating, extremely anxious for everyone. But if we can predict what's going to happen on Halloween because we've worked on it up to it, now we're going to be prepared. We're going to have um, strategies. We're going to have interventions. We're going to have expectations to make it as, as exciting as possible. Vince, I have a personal question for you Yes. Um, about Halloween. Um, mm -hmm. I know it's very different this year and um, um, as last year, a lot of kids aren't going trick-or-treating. Mm -hmm. But I also have an issue with Wyatt being of an age, he's 19, and he still wants to go trick-or-treating. How do I, you know, explain to him he's aging out of that? It's one of his favorite holidays. Right. I mean, one of the things is then a, a couple things. I mean, one, he still can participate if if safe and 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 fun, right? Um, that's, that's definitely something that you, you could look at. Another thing that I saw just recently, which I thought was wonderful is a group of teens had their first kind of Halloween party. So it was structured, it was supervised, they got to dress up. And then what they did is they, they brought candy to exchange. So that was kind of like their, their, uh, 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 their, their door pay, right? When they get there, that you know, their cover charge was here. Here's the Snickers, <laughs> you know, right? And they kind of exchanged uh, uh, candy while they were there, and then they did other things, you know, play video games and talk about their costumes and stuff like that. So you can look at that, you know, something possibly like that. I think the other thing talking with Wyatt would be to now have him the next stage is is participating in the creation of the holiday so decorating handing out candy still dressing up but could hand out candies um those types of things so still he's participating but he's doing it in a different way so this way it's still something to look forward to but yet in a different modality Mm -hmm. Okay, because adults still go to Halloween parties, right? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. I know Dr. Grand Pichet, that's her favorite holiday. Her favorite holiday, right. <laughs> she, goes, she goes crazy on those costumes, and they're just, it, it amazes me every year. I, I got to say, too, Nancy, I know uh, Taka puts out cards um, that talk about your child being on the autism spectrum. And I know at least one mom who had a teenage son and one Halloween he went around and, and a couple of the neighbors gave him a hard time. Uh -huh. um, and so what she did the following Halloween was she went around like a week before Halloween with the cards, knocked on the doors and uh, like all like 40 houses that they were going to go to, which is a lot. I don't know that I would have that in me, but she did it. And said, hi, I want to introduce myself. My child's going to be coming around. Uh, I want you, here's a card that I'm giving you to let you know about my son. And he's on the autism spectrum and he'll be wearing this costume. And so if you see him, uh, you know, and if she saw that somebody was being a real butthead about it and saying, well, you should not, then, then she crossed that house off on the list of the route. And went to the rest of them. But what she found was that overwhelmingly the people were like, I had no idea. She made friends, found out that there were other kids in the neighborhood that were on the spectrum. So, you know, it's a little bit harder in terms of in a pandemic. I don't know that everybody comes to the door anymore, but it's a possibility um, of something to do. And I want to say that I think, Vince, when, when you said the word expectation, I think you hit it right on the head. I think that part of it is that our kids have expectations and sometimes our kids have expectations that they expect the world to be like it was yesterday. And suddenly there's new rules for Halloween and they're like, I don't, I don't get it. Whereas other kids now get what Halloween is and they have an expectation that it will be like it was two years ago. And it's probably not going to be, but I, I think also as parents, we have expectations. And one of the things that I've learned for me is that to look at what's important to me on, on, for Halloween. And it's always important for me to get a picture of the costume. So I've learned not to do that on Halloween. 
to get him fully in the costume a different day, take all of those pictures on a different day, because whatever pictures I may or may not get on Halloween are not going to be the ones like the, the, they're archival, right? But the one that I want of the costume, we spent a lot of time on the costume. Um, so I got to get those beforehand. And that way, when Halloween comes, I just get to let him be whoever he's going to be. And my expectation has already been filled. Other people have other expectations. But for me, it's about the picture. For, it sounds like for Wyatt, it's about getting to go door to door. Is that right, Nancy? Well, it's about getting to dress up and go to some form. Yeah, he, he, oh. goes, he goes to a party at his best friend's house. And I... I had approached them as to whether they were doing it this year. They're going to do it on a very small level. And then after the party, they go trick-or-treating in this gated community. And he didn't get to go on the trick-or-treating part last year and probably won't this year. So I, I want to prepare him for that, that in addition to the pandemic, he has, you know, he's reached an age where trick-or-treating isn't really something that we do anymore but he can still dress up and go to parties there you go i love that love that right right so we're gonna take the breath on halloween we're gonna take it as it comes can we talk a little bit about thanksgiving now i know it's early but <laughs> one at a time about? um what yeah absolutely and and when we get into uh, thanksgiving is more of a family oriented uh uh holiday right so this is where we have the aunt rebecca at the table and you know and, and, and someone who has you know a, a a bag full of information that they think they know everything um we know who those people are so the best thing we can do is prepare you know responses for or expectations again on what is going to happen now we could tell aunt rebecca ahead of time or we have some type of scripted responses when we get there. The key to it is keeping our boundaries, right? Maintaining our boundaries and not, you know, to some extent acquiescing to let's just make everybody happy for the day, right? Because that confuses our kids. If there's an expectation, maybe there's a dietary, you know, a restriction or maybe there's, you know, certain routines that, that are being followed for, you know, for clinical reasons that, that needs to be done, then we expect that we're going to continue to follow that even when we're in the presence of extended family. This is good for the extended family to see. Let's remember, we are educating them too. Most extended family do not have the experience, the lights are going again, I don't, evidently I don't move enough. Um, the expectation, they, they don't have expectations. They don't know the, the, the clinical rationale or behavior plans that are being set to work on certain things, right? So we explain it as it's happening. Oh, the reason we do this is X, Y, and Z. The reason we do this is X, Y, and Z, right? Educate them. Now, if they have an opinion on why and just say, you know, our experts, you know, recommend we do this. Our doctors recommend we do this. Our, you know, so then this way, it's not just your opinion. This isn't an opinion. You're following a medical necessary recommendation by a doctor, a BCBA, um, speech therapist, or what have you, right? These, I think there's kind of this false belief that this is just a parenting style, that you are making these up as you go along. If you express this is a medical uh, routine or a medically recommended process, that usually sits a little differently then, right? It now takes it away from this is just your opinion to this is something that's actually being prescribed. I see a lot of success with that. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's always interesting, right? There's always somebody at that table that thinks that they are an expert in everything, whether it's making the mashed potatoes or autism, they think they have it all figured out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Since I've got the two of you here. We've got a parent that's new um, and they wrote in on Wednesday and Dr. Grampy Shea did answer the question, but there, I think part of it is that there are feelings attached to this. And, and the question was about a child who, 
uh, was talking at one point, and now it's as though he has just a made-up language, that he's speaking in gibberish and that it's really disconcerting to the parent. And she says, I, I'm not hearing this from other parents, and I'm having similar issues, and I'm feeling really isolated. I know I expressed on Wednesday that that was my son. My son was speaking in full sentences, and then then he stopped talking and he would do this thing. He had already gotten to the point where he would play with his action figures, but he would have his action figures and he would go, (laughs) have them talking, but in this, you know, like in the back of his throat (laughs) noise. And then sometimes he would go, as if they were talking, but it was gibberish. And it was so frightening to me. And I, and I was like, what happened? Where did my child go? And will they ever come back? Now I shared some hope about this the other day on Wednesday. And I hope that the parents saw this, but do either of you have anything that you want to say to a parent who's feeling overwhelmed and isolated and alone? um, And their child has stopped, stopped speaking in a way that they can understand. You're not absolutely. The first thing I think is you're not alone because that's actually, I hate to say this, but that's actually common, right? It's common that they have more language. And then at some point we see that stopping point. We see the regression. We see that's where they've lost the language. It's actually a very common experience. Now, again, unfortunate, that's a very unfortunate common experience, but along the journey, this is part of the journey is Regression, progression, regression, progression, regression, progression. And we move and we continue to move forward. It's, you know, two steps forward, one step back. We're still going forward, but it does come with regressions of some developmental stages along the way. First thing is make sure we're in treatment, make sure we're we're seeing those professionals, either BCBA, speech therapy, right, to, to make sure that there's programs, interventions, and strategies to work on this. The other thing is now, and I don't know what Doreen had talked about, but I'm going to guess we're on the same page with, this also comes along with anxiety, right? There's a lot of anxiety in our kids. Let's use, I'll use Jem's example, right? There's a lot, there was a lot of communication that he lost. That's going to create a lot of anxiety. So he's now struggling to communicate with his environment that creates anxiety trying to come up with the words the right phrases the right you know the right times to say things the right words to say and the such when he's calm and he's playing he's making up a language because it keeps his anxiety low he doesn't have to think of the right words he doesn't have to think of the right phrases he doesn't have to you know deal with anybody else's frustrations and emotions that come with struggling to communicate that you know that creates a an environment to where he doesn't he he keeps his anxiety low it keeps the fun and the playing going now in the real world when we're talking with mom dad talking with teachers talking with aunts and uncles and such you have to use the right words you have to use the right phrases you have that creates anxiety when you're struggling to pull those up right so anxiety is going to come along the way too so we want to look at ways to promote language with a less anxiety right and in, in making sure we're controlling our emotions let's not you know make sure we're not getting frustrated making sure that that we're being you know calm keeping our tones down right really encouraging um, you know, efforts more than results in the beginning, those types of things, because if we look anxious, our tone goes up, our speech gets more rapid, their anxiety is going to go up and we're going to, and they're going to struggle more. And if they struggle more then we struggle more and you see the circle you know, or the cycle as we go. But if we can keep calm tones, we can keep low voices, we can keep encouraging efforts and attempts right? That keeps their anxiety lower and that gives them more resource to actually try to work on their language. Yeah. And uh, Nancy, I want to hear from you too, but I, we, Dr. Grambichet talked a lot about ABA, intensive ABA. Right. Yes. And mm-hmm. I, like this mom had a very, and you Shannon had a very similar situation. Wyatt was speaking um, in, you know, two and three word sentences and then lost that ability and 
was really speaking in one word utterances and a lot of echolalia, which I think, yeah. which is repeating what has been heard, which I think was mother said that um, she thought her son has echolalia. Um, but one of the things I want to say is that it, at least they are still talking, right? This is a good thing, right, Vince? That yeah. is yeah, language. That's exactly what I was thinking. You can right. build on it that. It may not be sure. functional language, but then mm -hmm. with the right help and therapy and with ABA, language can be molded and shaped. So that is a good thing. At least they have not lost language completely. So take heart in that. Absolutely. But it is not the time to sit around and wait to see if it writes itself. No. The, the fear that you're feeling that like, uh, something is going on. You need to honor that feeling. Um, you need to not panic, but that what that feeling is telling you is that you need to do something and getting started with ABA is a pretty intensive thing. It, it's not something that you just call and they, they start it the next day. There's a lot of steps to it and you got to get started. You got to get on a waiting list. If, if, if that's what it requires, but, but identify a really good ABA provider in your area. I, I always recommend to people find a support group that's local um, and, and ask them who's really good. Of course, Nancy and I, our kids were treated at the center for autism and related disorders, and they have many centers across the United States. You can always go on their website to see if they have a center that's near you. Um, but there are many ABA providers. If you're not lucky enough to be near a card site, there are other good ones too. The tough part is knowing who are the good places and who's doing, there are people who are doing a lower class of ABA. Um, we've, we've got a paper that's coming out and sometime in the next week that where I go through what I think are the hallmarks of a good ABA program to help guide you. That's going to be available on our website soon. Um, but in the meantime, ask people in your local support group who is good and also start calling ABA providers. Start with who's got availability and ask them how much availability. If they're talking about doing 10-hour program with your three-year-old, keep moving because you really want 40 hours for a three-year-old. 40, I don't I know you just went, uh, right? 40, 40 hours a week for a, a three-year-old? Yes. And has that reaction. Uh, but that's what gets it done. I think the, the worst advice I've ever heard from pediatricians, and I hope this has changed, but, you know, I, I, unfortunately, I haven't worked with the, a lot of the itty-bitties and young ones in a while, was they'll grow out of it. Right. I got that. And I've I heard it for years in my 30 years that I've been doing this, my first, I would say, 15 of them, I, I heavily was supervising and working with a lot of uh, younger kids coming through. And I would hear that weekly from some parent or, or, or directly from the mouth of the doctor. You know what? They're young. They could grow out of it. You know what? They're young. They can grow out of it. I, I hope that now that is stopped because they don't grow out of it. When they are significant, you know, two, three years old and significantly struggling with their speech, they are not going to grow out of it. It doesn't get better on its own. They need to be taught the skills on how to learn language, to then learn the language, right? You can't teach a language if they don't know the skills how to learn it. So you teach they need to be taught through AB, you know, through ABA the skills to learn how to language there's observational learning there's repetitive you know uh, or observational language there's um repetitive language there's using phrases there's single words there's responding um there's requesting right there's lots of different types of language that the kids need to need to learn and aba breaks that down to teach the skills so that they can learn from that type of language that they experience and it's not something that they can grow out of. I know that that's all of our our wishes is that if there's a delay, you know, let's just wait and hopefully they'll grow out of it. But developmental milestones do not grow out of. Yeah, I got the the response from my pediatrician that boys are often late talkers. That was what he told me for a good year before we looked at doing some developmental assessments and yeah, uh, so tough. found out that he was at least a year delayed 
and then the wild goose chase for a diagnosis occurred at starting at three. So we lost a lot of valuable time. So I would say to parents out there, if your doctor is putting you off, you need to go to a different doctor. You need to get answers somewhere because you know your child best. Absolutely. And the earliest the intervention starts, the better, because they're not that far behind, right? If they're two, right. three years old, they can't be that far behind. They're only three, but the four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, right? The gap just grows. It doesn't, it doesn't close. It grows, it grows, it grows. Absolutely. That's not a word. Grows. We're, unfortunately, we're out of time, you guys, but I want to give a shout out to Ava who wrote in and said to uh, that parent, you're not alone. I'm in the same boat and I'm saying hi to Ken as well. Um, I love it when you guys can see that other parents have, have are going through or have gone through the same thing uh, because there's something healing about that. So uh, we want to thank you, Vince, for being here with us. We're so uh, lucky to have you here with us. Nancy, I want to thank you too. We're back next Monday, live shows all next week. So you're not going to want to miss that. Uh, tune in to Autism Live on the Autism Network. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me. Give yourselves a hug from me. Bye for now. Bye-bye for now. Bye. Spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.